Hello friends and welcome to Inside Success. In this episode, I jetted out to Ibiza and managed to spend some time with the legend that is Danny Gold, who for over 30 years has been running Clockwork Orange club events. In this episode, we discuss with Danny the highs and lows of 30 years of working in such a difficult industry and the evolution of the actual clubbing scene itself. The interesting part for me was very much looking at Danny as an individual and the elements of the actual PR and the marketing and what actually goes into putting on such events as Clockstock, which saw just over 12,500 people attend recently at Chelmsford Racecourse, and then the massive celebrations from the 20th of July for a full weekend back in Ibiza, the spiritual home of Clockwork Orange. I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed recording with Danny. Um, so just a little bit about how I know Danny. So I actually came to your events very late in life. And the first one I actually attended was, I took Google this this morning, so I couldn't keep up with the hours and the times, was the O2 event back in 2017. Wow. Um, six, something, building six, wasn't it? That was it, yeah, down the sides, the, yeah, with the outside part and then the main, yeah. the main building. Um, and I was really trying to reconnect with a, an old friend, Trevor Fung, who was obviously playing the event. Um, I fell in love with the Orange whole event, just the people, the setup, the atmosphere, the age groups. And that's really why I wanted to talk to yourself today, because what I find about Clockwork Orange is it's not just an event, it's a community. Mm. And the people of the events are very much part of what you do. The clockies, as we call them. Mm. Um, and since I've been coming out to your events, 2018 was the first time we came to Ibiza, so literally a year after. And we've been coming ever since. Wow, which is quite good. was a good year. 18 was the last beach party, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That was an event. Yeah. It was an event. We had to stop it because it was too big. <laughs> and too noisy as well from the, uh, the locals' point of view. No, no, no. It was nothing to do with locals. It was just too big. Okay. It had grown from, it had grown from 400 or 300 people to like 8,000. Okay. With no flyers, no, no advertising, just you know where it is, blah, blah, blah. Word of mouth. That was it. Like that was it. Days. Yeah. And it, the man said to me, he said, we can't do it anymore. When it's too big. And then we went to Amnesia. Okay. So... Before we get going on anything else, I always like to start with just a few get-to-know-you questions. Random stuff, which you might not have thought about for a long time. So, first one, what was so your... Give f- the long pause then. No. Brain. Don't worry about it. So, what was your favourite TV show as a kid? Um, I think I grew up on, um, like, yeah, Harold Lloyd's and, and uh, Laurel and Hardy's. Okay. That kind of stuff, that kind of mad kind of like, you know, people jumping off of buildings, the, the slapstick. That's the stuff I used to look forward to because I remember when I was a kid, yeah, you'd have your Saturday morning cartoons and your Hong Kong fooies and they were all exciting because you had no TV really, did you? No. It was, after, it was in a certain time in the afternoon. But I used to like that bit, I must have been about nine or ten or eight. And then BBC One would finish and go into the adult section but then Harold Lloyd and, and Lauren and Hardy come on on BBC Two. So you switched over and watched it on there. And they were the things that made me laugh. I remember being unwell and felt unwell and then Harold Lloyd was on once and the things that was going on, and it made me laugh. I've, I've got a distinct memory of that, being unwell and watching it. Because you remember when you were kids, you'd get the flu. Yeah. And you'd be ill and you'd have all those mad dreams. I was, I was, I was unwell at that point. I remember watching it, but it lifted my emotions. That kind of stuff, really. 
So that was the. So it was the stuff that made you laugh, that made you feel happy. Yeah, well, then you got like things like chips and and the A team and all those wicked things that were made for kids in in that era. So it didn't necessarily have to be like um, like funny stuff, just stuff that you just connected with. Yeah, really. Okay. Fancy fantasy dinner guest and why? Winston Churchill, because he's on my chest. Yeah, he's my hero. He's my hero. Basically, even sitting here today, probably wouldn't exist if that man wouldn't have stood up for what he, he believed in, what he knew, and the man that we needed at that time in, a, in, in the, the history of the British Empire at yep. that time. If he wouldn't have done what he would have done, and, and Britain, the British government, capitulating via the Italians to the Germans and surrendering, none of this would exist today. No. The Germans would have spread to, to Britain, foothold in Britain, all of Europe, all of France, everything conquered, maybe the Americans and the Russians together, but you never know. You never know. And then when I, the amount of books I've read of his, and it's just like, a, just like a Hollywood story. The man was a genius. Is there one question you'd like to ask him? Oh, one question. That's a bloody good answer. Um, oh, I think I'd have one. I think I'd just listen to him, to be honest. Okay. I'd just listen to him. That's a good enough answer. Random one. Would you rather be forced to sing along or dance to every single song you heard? Dance to every single song I heard. But I don't really dance anymore. Because <laughs> my back goes. My back my legs get stiff and my back goes even like when you're shuffling left and right when you're DJing and every next morning you wake up and everything's stiff. So yeah, dance. I do I, I don't mind a sing along. Yeah, I don't mind a like, sing along. As you get older you realise, you know, when you're younger and oh, I've got the words wrong and it it don't sound right and it, it really doesn't matter. Sing like nobody's listening and dance like nobody's watching. And don't worry about that, my so my kids criticise me all the time. We sit yeah, in the car. It don't care. Don't matter. I'm trying to do 90s rap in the car and the kids are going, you've got no idea on the yeah, words. My daughter was singing to, um, um, what's the lady? Oh, well, I can't remember her name, but she had this album on and she was singing in her bedroom, top of her voice. Left her to it. This most cathartic, uh, relaxing thing you can do. Gets yeah. out all your stresses and strains. Yeah, sometimes I'm in a car and I'll scream loud and shout loud and, and sing loud and you feel better afterwards. Any particular song? Nah, all of them. No. I, seem, I seem to think that I know every word to Toto Africa, but I don't. But it sounds really good. Right. I'm mad you just said that. Uh, two weeks ago on Instagram, you know you get these little stories 30 seconds long or yeah. a minute long. So the man describes the greatest producers of the late 70s and early 80s Yeah. were these guys. There were two brothers and someone else. The two brothers and someone else, which I've looked into and I actually can't find anyway. And they, they helped to produce uh, like uh, certain songs on Thriller, like big big groups at the time, massive groups. They then went on to form Toto Africa. Wow. Yeah, they went to form, form that. And I so was from the kind of well. synth period and going through those. Yeah. Uh, you know, like they were involved with like McCartney and, and Michael Jackson. He said, but you'd never would have heard of them. He said, but you would have heard of their group, Toto Africa. Yeah. One of my favourite songs, yeah. favourite songs. Do you have a guilty pleasure song talking about music? <laughs> no, there's loads of them. There's loads of them. Elton John, your song. That's good one, yeah. Yeah, like listening, like all, knowing all the words. So and, and, like and Paul a, McCartney, is, uh, um, Paul, um, ah, Paul Young. Paul Young. Uh, Wherever I Lay My Hat. That's a wicked track. Because that takes me back to being 11 years old with the 12 and 13 year olds. 
at a party when I was a kid and I wasn't drinking and watching them all smoking and drinking and dancing with each other. And I was sitting there, I was like naive to it all. <laughs> and I can remember that record being played. So it was like, that was in 82, I think, that song. So I was and one this, years old then? Yeah, and this was 83 or 84. Okay. You was one years old? I was one years old in 81. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So that takes you right back to that. That's interesting. There's a lot of records that take me back to that specific moment in time. Yeah. So that takes you to 11. Okay. So if a movie was made about yourself, who would play you and why? It couldn't be Danny Dyer. Um, he's too like this. He's, <laughs> he's too like this. It's embarrassing. It's almost like um, amplified cockneyness. Um, Someone out of the left side of the day when I did one of these said Denzel Washington. Mate, listen, Den- Denzel Washington is probably one of the coolest, wisest cats going. Mm. All of his, all of his movies. I'm, I want to see the new Equalizer. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm not sure if it's going to go like um, John Wick. Yes, the latest John Wick was just just pathetic. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is is a governor. He's a governor to have done it and watch them all like fighting like this is just pathetic. It's trying so, to be the Matrix still. No, and even the even Matrix worse. Four was just 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 embarrassing or whatever number it was. I just watched it. I turned it off after a little while. I went, you just you've just killed it. Why would you do that? If you can't make it better, then why not? But. Someone to play you in a movie would have to be someone unknown. So you discover okay. someone, that person who fits that position perfectly, where they look the same, yeah. characteristics, and you just know. Do you know what I mean? Not having to pick someone from top shelf, you pick an unknown that just does it perfectly. That's a good answer. Yeah. And do you have a favourite quote? Um, this is not the end. This is not even the beginning of the end. It is perhaps the end of the beginning. Churchill? Churchill, mate, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the end of that round. How do you feel about that? It's quite good. Yeah, it was right. It was oh, cool. no, yeah. So, can you give us a brief introduction? You're taking a... away my sunshine. I'm sorry, Danny. You didn't actually do it personally, but it's, it's, it's disappeared for a couple of minutes. But that's fine, so it means you don't have to worry about the sunshine. It's, it's good. Counterproductive, I like it. Or counter, counteractive, yeah. <laughs> so... Can you give us a brief introduction and a background of what you had done in previous jobs before clockwork? I know I'm all off by heart. Um, I came out of school and my next door neighbour lived at the back. She said that her boss needed someone on the markets, so I went to work on Petticoat Lane and Romford Market. I used to get Saturdays off. Yeah, Saturdays off. And we used to do a mixture between the both. Um, that was selling shirts, and that's what got me like with confidence. The what was the guy's name? Can't remember. It was pinging my head a minute, and um, he went to prison for uh, fraud. And um, and he said, "Go on, boy, sell the shirts." I went, "What?" He went, "Go on, shout." And I to like I, I was I was always always had the confidence. And he went, "Go on, two for like a fiver or five for a tenner or whatever." And I had to stand there, and all people looking at me, but I, I, I did it. And then um, I left that. And then I went to work in a place called Champion and Wilton's in Giddens. So they made um, exclusive horse stuff, like saddles, all stuff like that. Okay. And I mean, this is this is 88. And the saddles are made out of elephant skin. Really? Yeah, this is 88. So it was elephant just before it like really got banned. Um, and in my book, I wrote about it. And there where I stole, stole some post from another um, office. And there was acid in a, in a, a newspaper. 
from Australia and I didn't know what it was but the secretary knew what it was and I ended up taking half and then I took a full one on a Friday. And what age is this? Uh, 16 in working in an office environment like tripping up Friday like Friday by, by about 10 o'clock in the morning I was like gone melting in the mirror. Um, then I went to work in a greengrocer's for a friend for about six, seven months. Then a building site for two years and then after that I literally done my first Summer in our beef in 1992. Come back. Uh, 92, yeah. Come back. Met Andy. And then we started clockwork in 93. So we'll go on to that in a second. Mm. So let's go back even further. 16-year-old Danny. Well, she just talked about the working point of view. So what age did you leave school? 16. Was 16. Without qualification or, or anything. I got thrown out, basically. So I was going to ask, what were you like at school? I was the naughtiest kid. Naughtiest kid. So if you want to go even further back than that, so an alcoholic mother, um, basically you're not dragged up. You've got a mum who's got an illness. You're living in a flat with no carpet, second-hand clothes, hardly no food. When we did have food, it was like a luxury. And I'll digress onto something like this. I always looked at my nana's posh, but only in the last six to 12 months have I realised that my nan was normal. Yeah, yeah. Like lino, nice and clean, baking, cook, uh, growing things in the garden. My dad had a job. Uh, my granddad had a job. My nan had a job. They had soda streams and biscuits in the cupboard. I thought my name was posh, but it's only just dawned on me she was normal. I had no father, and um, yeah, that was that was me growing up really. So it was me growing up. So I had no direction. ADHD, most probably, child psychologists at school, at high school, because I was disruptive, naughty, playing up, always on report, nearly got suspended twice, nearly got um, expelled, um, but they, they let me off, and um, I think my last final exam paper, they sent home to my mum, like, and uh, how, they, how disgusted they were. Basically, what I did is I just drew pictures over it, and then just walked out, and left, and they sent it to my mum in, in the post, and she was like, what's all this about? I was like, and what I used to say when I was a kid, so what, who cares? And that, that was it, left school with no qualifications. And what they, what they did do after that, they took all of our year to Walton Towers, yeah. and they made me stand outside the staff room all lunchtime while they decided. And then the teacher came out, uh, Mrs. Riches, our head of year, and she said, um, she just shook her head. She went, I'm sorry. She went, no one is prepared to to look after or monitor you during the trip. So I was the only child who wanted to let her go. So how'd that make you feel? Uh, you, at the time, you're pissed off. You're annoyed. But if you don't, now, looking back on it, if you don't, if you don't do what you're supposed to do and you're the naughtiest kid and you're disruptive and you don't try in your exams... There is some form of punishment because you are a pain in, pain in the royal ass. Yeah. I went, miss, I'll sit up the front, please. I, listen, it was all just, it was all just words. Because as soon as I got there, I would have <laughs> done whatever I could to have been like, you know, yeah. outlandish. But our, our school back then was like crazy. All, most of the kids were disruptive or fighting the teachers or breaking windows, setting off uh, extinguishers. It's only when I spoke to a friend in New York a little while ago yeah. and he went, that school was rough, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punks, glue, smoking. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It was bloody good fun. <laughs> so where was growing up? Uh, growing up was a place called Chabble Heath. 
Um, my mum, when I was born, it was a one-bedroom bed sit in, in Ilford, in Essex, and then they offered her a two-bedroom flat in Chabelheath, in this street. And, like, you know, we were... There was other kids not not as low as where I was, but yeah. they were, like, near enough there. And um, But that was a lovely street of, like, families, kids yeah most of the parents all together kind of thing do you know what i mean like the mums and dads and like the two kids or the three kids there was only two of us in that street who like there was one of us all the rest of them had brothers and sisters and, and a lovely brother. Uh, i've got a brother now yeah he was born and then we moved we moved again in 1986 when he was born to uh chigwell in essex to be one road away from my nan because my mum got offered another council property got offered a house but yeah we grew up in chablis and I went back eight years ago, and that road is now basically in no uncertain terms a shithole. Right. Decrepit, dilapidated, things were smashed, spray painting. It was, it was it's just, just... Soul destroying? Yeah, mm. it was sad, because that's where I grew up. And the, the gardens were the gardens, and some of the back gardens had allotments, and the lovely garages, and all the windows had been smashed, and all the garages... And all the houses are just, and there was there was developments gone on in places where you wouldn't have it, where we used to kick a ball. Yeah. And I was just, it was just, yeah, it was soul destroyed. It was horrible. It was horrible. Okay. Well, that's not ideal, is it? No, but that's that's the movement from inner city to outer city, and the inclusion in the European Union. Yeah, yeah. And affordable properties, and uh, what else is it? Social housing. Yeah, yeah. So it just, you know, all the families moved out. Yes. And other people moved in. So it was it was sad to see. So from my personal point of view, similar story to yourself. Uh, I was an only child, never met my father, and I lived next door to my I nan. I met him once. Okay, you met him once? In 1988, yeah, met him once. How old were you then? 16. Don't mind going into it? I don't mind going into anything, don't bother me. Turned up, um, my mum got a phone call. Mum got a phone call from my nan, and my nan lived in her house for 70 years. After the Second World War, 1946, they got offered this house. There's a photo of her and my granddad standing on the step, and behind them is just orchards. Yeah. And then gradually that became the housing estate. And she lived there for years, and when she met my dad, when he left when I was born, wherever he went, South Africa or New Zealand, and he came over on a cruise, and he went to see my nan and said, blah, blah, blah. And she rung my mum up and said he wants to come round and see you. He come round, was talking to my mum, didn't really pay me no attention. Mm. So I went out, because I used to go ice skating on a Wednesday, and he came on a Wednesday. I went, fuck this shit. And I was out there. <laughs> rung me up at work, that place, that saddle place. Yeah. I said, I'm in London, do you want to meet for lunch? I met him for lunch. He gave me his number and his telephone number on a piece of paper, and then... I literally kept it in a cupboard for years and before my mum passed away I threw it away because I moved out of that property into somewhere else yeah. and then um, yeah I never kept it never kept it tried to track him down just to say hello and say he's got a granddaughter but there's no it don't bother me well the thing is now is let's be fair social media you can be found very quickly um, yeah no I mean I don't even know I didn't even know what his second name was until I was about 30 odd and I don't know right, if it's okay. W-I-N-N or W-Y-N-N someone sent me a photo someone sent me a photo from the 60s of all the uh, six boys in a nightclub I couldn't have told you which one was mine which one was my dad when I looked at it I, was, I didn't even know couldn't remember what he looked like didn't even know him but then when I show it to everyone else they go oh that's the one because he looks like you really couldn't pick it out yeah no really yeah so I always found in life is, unless someone wants to get to know you, 
you shouldn't have to chase them. I've always been that way inclined. It's like those long lost families when the people ain't seen, seen each mm. other for like 50 years and they start crying and go, because oh. some of them, there's, there's a part of them missing. I'm yeah. like, no, there's not a part of me missing. Because if I saw him, it, it's awkward. You don't know that person. You've got no bond to him. You know what I mean? Correct. I didn't have a bond with him and, I, and I've never needed him and I've never really wanted to. Slightly, yeah, I thought I'd try and track him down and someone gave me this number and some, something like that, but it never come to nothing. So I don't, I don't stay up all night thinking about it. <laughs> so on a more positive note, you're a father? Yep. Daughter? Yep, 12 years old, yeah. 12 years Very, old. Um, a, a, a totally different child to what I was when I grew up. And obviously the point of view is, so she, you said she's a completely different character to yourself. And is that partly from your personal experience in parenting or from your... It's her mum. Most of that is down to her mum. Mum, which she, she's amazing. She's an amazing mother and how she's guided her. But then it's, it's the environment. So I grew up in a... My mum was always drinking. Like borrowing, I was sent up to shops to go and like you know with a with a tick note to like have a martini and twenty twenty MC number one and then bring it back. Sometimes when she's really drunk, I had to take her up there when I was seven or eight years old, supporting her up the road. Um, as I said, no carpets, no curtains. Most of the time, the gas didn't work because she didn't pay the bill. No electric, no food. So you become you adapt to your environment. So you go in someone's house and I used to nick their biscuits or, or, or steal food. Do you know what I mean? Because it, it wasn't something I was used to. Mm. And I made a decision, mental decision, um, that when my daughter was born, I went, no, it's not about me. Because I was like, oh, I'm going to like chill out and not work so hard. And within six months, I was like, it's not about me. It's about my daughter. And I went from chilling out to like four jobs and clockwork restarted and a landscape company and working seven days a week so that, I could bring her up how she should be she brought up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not just a loving environment, not just like material stuff, but like nice holidays, nice clothes, all the stuff that I used to look at other kids and add this stuff. And I used to think, again, they were posh. And like, oh, wow, they've got Sergio on and Feeler on. Not just the labels, look at me, but just the things that accompany like kids growing up, you know? Just comfortable. Yeah. Rather yeah. than the, uh, the, yeah. the flash side of things. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, she's I not like that. that. She's not like that. I took her to Selfridges and said, I'll buy you this. She was, she was like, Meh. and then when I got to the, the front, it was these silk pyjamas, and the lady went to 500 quid. I thought, I'm going to treat her. And she just looked at me, she went, that's too much money. Mm. And she's 12. And I yeah. went, wow. Because when I was a kid, I wanted everything. Because I weren't getting what everyone else was getting. So if I, I'd grasp it. Do you know what I mean? But she was like, no, that's too expensive. And I was like 12 years old, like, like teaching me lessons. So, um, you know, she's a great kid. But I find that myself and my own kids is that I've realised if you don't listen to them and what they're understanding from their own modern world, considering what we grew up in, I don't know everything still. I coach kids football now on a Sunday. And the stuff I'm learning from just being around them, their different personalities and their different hopes and dreams... I'm still learning at 42 on what I would... 42. <laughs> but we, we always... I don't dismiss, obviously, the younger kids and the younger generation, but you, you kind of get to an age and you think you know everything. And, then, and unless you open up your ears and listen to what they're telling you, you miss so much. And as you say, it's, it's generally the simpler things in life they want from you. It's not, as you say, £500 silk pyjamas. They want quality time. They want someone to listen to and actually give them the ability to actually believe they can 
do more in their life, mm. regardless of their upbringing, their starting, and where they come from, if that makes sense. Mm. What was your dream job? Uh, I didn't want money. I didn't have one. I just, just know I needed money. I had, when I was at school, when I was 14, when we moved from one place to another, I got a job before school in the butchers. Yeah. I got a job after school in the butchers. Um, that was six days, five, six days a week, all day Saturday, before school, after school. Then after the butchers, I used to go into greengrocers and pull, pull that in. Then on a Monday, Wednesday and Saturday, I used to work for a pound an hour <laughs> in, a, uh, in a local supermarket. And then on Sunday, I used to go out and clean cars and try and earn money and drag him around my nan's shopping basket with a hoover, buckets, uh, chamois levers and fairy liquid, <laughs> trying to earn money. And most I'd ever earned was about 35 quid a week. This was 1986. And that was just enough for whatever. And then I'd, when I, that was when I was 14. Then other jobs and then whatevers and whatevers. And only two years ago did I stop working four jobs and I had two full-time jobs. I was a construction manager, yeah. project manager in construction. And I was doing clockwork and clock stock and a landscaping company and DJ. And so even those years later, and then two years ago, I went, that's it. I ain't, I ain't doing this no more. So for the construction market, obviously, I, I, when I first got to see what you were doing and got to understand yourself a little bit more, I didn't have any clue or concept you obviously were in that side of the industry. 20 years. Okay. Did it for 20 years and then finished. I went into that when Clockwork finished. When I left Clockwork in 2001, we was working six months on a project and earning no money, and I went, that's it. And I went to work for a friend as a fire taping man. Yeah. Putting the fire tape above the ceilings to form, like you know, the air um, air integrity or the uh, for the fire ratings. Yeah, yeah, the fire ratings are the top of the walls and blah blah blah. And I had it all over me, and he was paying me like like ninety quid a day. And then one day, some guy said, "I need a making good man on the job." And I turned up on the next day with all these guys from his other sites: Polish, Lithuanian, Bulgarian, Romanian. In the induction, and the man went, "You're English," and I went, "Yeah, you're in." <laughs> How old are you? And I was, when was I, how much was I then? I was 29. Uh, yeah, 29. And then, and then when I got to know him and I told him all the stuff and I was like, you know, so this was 2002, 2001, 2001, 2002. And then 1998, I'm the most successful promoter in Ibiza. Smashed granny out of it three and a half thousand a week. And then I've started on this site as a the internet and everything, it's only just taken off, so you couldn't Google it and go, look, check this out. Yeah. Like, yeah, all right. And then someone would go, oh, I used to go to your parties. Right, cool. So I'm working on my hands and knees, scrubbing things, and I said to this guy, I'll do whatever you want. And I just basically was working there like 90 hours a week because they was giving me um, uh, day work, and yeah. I got it all signed off, and the daily and then the weekly got it all signed off, and the bloke said, I can't pay you that. I went, it's been signed off. And he went, do you want a job as a manager? And I went, yeah. And I went to literally work on this site, got the interview, and um, they went, we pay 30 grand a year. Really? This was 2001 or 2002. I went, really? And he went, yeah. He said, medical as well. I went, what? He went, we pay travel expenses as well. I went, what? He went, and you get the bank holidays, the weekends and uh, Christmas and holidays off, plus two weeks paid. I went, what? normality because yeah, when yeah. I left school and I had all these different jobs it was like 
self-employed or no tax or this, that, the other. And I was like, wow, really? And, and, I, worked, and I started as nothing. And work my way up to their top project manager, like learning all the stuff. So, sorry, that was 29, you say you started doing that? No, 2002, when I started doing um, construction as a project manager, as working for a company. So, from the actual ground up, when did you start? What age was that? Coming back out off the back of clockwork? Coming back to the uh, I started as a Making Good Man 2001 into 2002. And what age was that then? Um, I was uh, 29. 29. Yeah, 20. So, you've gone from massive, massive highs. To, as you say, coming back to starting from scratch again, basically. Didn't bother me. Didn't bother me. I appreciate that, but it's, for me, it's the point of this podcast as well is to actually give people some reality check around that, regardless of whatever you do in life, there is a start again. There is obviously yeah, opportunities, regardless of age. Yeah, start again whenever you want. But it's then being able to put in that effort, hard work, and commitment, as you just said there. I was 29. I couldn't do it now. No, but my point is, is even, even at 29, telling someone to work 90 hours a week, they'd have a mental breakdown. They wouldn't even... They wouldn't even I was con- hungry. See, I'd gone from doing really well with clockwork to, like, literally penniless. Yeah. Like, penniless. Not a thing to my name. Bunking on the train, jumping off at certain stops because I knew I could run off. Um, I had 50p in my pocket every day, and that used to buy me a jumbo box of cornflakes from whatever shitty shop... And then that would be my breakfast, lunch and dinner in the canteen. And I used to steal the milk. And the lady used to have a go at me every day. And then in the end, she just gave me the milk. Because that was my breakfast, lunch and dinner for, for however long. Until I got my first paycheck. And then I bought myself a coffee and a, <laughs> and a, and a croissant in the morning. Because I was thinking. And, and then I went up from there. But yeah, 29. At 29? Yeah. Hitting the top. I loved say, it though, I loved it. I loved working, getting there at six, seven o'clock in the morning and working till nine, ten o'clock at night yeah. in central London, getting the train home and I was so tired when I was, this is when I was still like addicted to everything. I'd have like a glass of wine because I was so tired and I had to get up like six hours or seven hours later, six hours later, five hours later, half of a, half of a joint and go, I've got to go to bed and then wake <laughs> up and do it again. And that was manual graft all the way through until yeah. obviously stepping up to yeah, site manager foreman. Site manager, um, man, no, it was um, assistant site manager, okay. site manager. Then uh, they used to they have all different classes. So it was class three, class two, class one, yeah. assistant project manager, then project manager. And then when I finished, I was like one of the senior project managers. And I was like, then you've got um, contracts. Funk that. I run my own <laughs> job and I run it amazing. I got scores and stuff in when I was doing that that you'd never achieve 100% in everything and that's the reason why I come out come out of one company because your bonus was linked yeah okay your KPI was linked to all these different scores yeah. <clears throat> they send the operations director the owner of the company all my directors other site managers from other big projects this was 600 rooms 33 storey student accommodation tower okay I was going to ask what you built immaculate no that's just one of loads Immaculate paperwork, health and safety. I won awards, manager of the month, all these different things. And then they turned around seven months into the project and said, Oh, we're st- email come around, we're scrapping the KPI, we'll let you know what's happening with bonuses in, in the near future. And I went up there and I tore into them and they said, Sat, and I went, Poke your job, where the sun don't shine. <laughs> and I left. But I was gutted because I had my feet under the table and I literally did what I wanted to do. Okay. Yeah. So 
that finished then. Was that when Clockwork had started back again? or was No, I left that band? company and was still involved in it. Clockwork okay. started um, 11 years ago. And um, I was doing, when it first started, I was working in Isha, getting up at four o'clock in the morning, getting there for six. Yeah, okay. I had to work six in the morning till four in the afternoon cause so I could do a 10-hour day and then drive home and get home at like 7.30 at night because it was three and a half hours to get home. It was just wall-to-wall traffic. And then um, clockwork, and I was I was basically whittling down the projects to making it easier, like 20 apartments. Yeah. And I could do clockwork while I was doing that, and it was a lot easier. And then when lockdown came, the work, I was doing a project, a refurb project. And then um, after the lockdown, I decided I'd done one more project for a friend in uh, Luton. Yeah. And after that, I went, that's it. I'm done. So going on to lockdown... You're obviously still in the building game. Clockwork's back on the roll, on the, on the on the rise. Parties are getting good. Everything's positive. I beef was rocking every every single summer. Then stop. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Um, so for me, an interesting period when obviously I haven't known you, don't know you very well, Danny. But obviously, see you on socials, you are very uh, good at coming back to people really quickly. You're always you're always very good at that, and that's found something I found really interesting someone who runs such a big promotion was still personable does that make sense yeah no massively it's the old point of it it's something i learned in sobriety but getting sober 20 years ago and that's what we i rebuilt clockwork on you know like um like the positive foundations of sobriety you know like treat others as you wish to be treated and and all these little positive quotes and comments if it's a big massive corporation and we've had people trying to say oh we'll incorporate bots F off with your bots. <laughs> I don't want bots. I hate bots. I hate being able to get, not get through to people or call center or you get through to think. Press one for this. Press press two for this, 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 this. Press for... No, man. Just go back to people. It's, it's exhausting, but that's the way it is. That's the way it is. So is that a... When you say exhausting, is it to the point now it's too much or you're still able to and quite happy to carry on with it oh i can still do it i can still do it because in the build-up to a project if you in the build-up to a to an event if you deal with it every day and you reply to people then it's it's manageable if you try and do it like once a week or twice a week you've got all these you can't get through it like when we do an event and it's really good and 99.999 percent of the people except for the one aggie maggie or some who's got the ump about whatever and literally I start my emails two different email accounts and you answer all them then the two different Facebook profiles and you do them then the Instagram the WhatsApp the text messages so you go through all that plus all the stuff to the business page and uh, comments then literally when it's a good event you go back to the beginning and it's all started again it's all full up again so you have to go through it all again it takes so- days so would you say your experience obviously with running high pressured large projects with multiple people and responsibilities there has kind of helped you guide the newer way of working with events? That's your personality. Okay. You ca- you'd, certain people have got personalities where they, they want to do things their way and kids in construction who learn and they get a master's degree, they go onto a site and they, they see a program and they expect it to be done like yeah. this. It ain't like that. The oyster ain't working. The deliveries, the drawings are wrong. The this, the that, illness, uh, blah, 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 or obstructions. Other con- people ain't finished. 
it's how your brain works. But my brain's like wired incorrectly anyway. So you've got a switchboard from A to Z. Mine's Z, B, J, K. So I see the answer. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh my God, what are we going to do? I'm like, I've already fucking done it. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's, what's your problem? Oh really? What did you do? So people are wired different. Mm. But as you get older, you can't. I, I used to think I was I was invincible, and when I when I finished with my boss, my company I was working for, this dry lining company, and my boss he said, yeah 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 yeah, because we want to ask you like because you, you've done these projects and it seems to be getting a bit slower and all that, but we want to take you to this big project, and then I went nah. I said I realise now I'm I'm just getting older and I just I just can't smash it. I could do it. But it would it would take its toll now. Yeah, yeah I it, do get it. Yeah, it would it would it would take its toll for the what? For the sake of extra money and your health coming at risk, you know? I used to come out of construction when clockwork was relaunching after um lockdown and honestly it wasn't a headache. My head used to throb. Mm. Like throb. I'm on the phone on the way home, calling up companies. Never run out of materials. Materials were on an all-time low from BG. Yeah. I'm stealing it from here. I'm stealing it from there. I'm telling the geezer, they don't need as many pallets on that job. Send them to me. He went, you sure? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got 100 men. And I'm servicing them as well as running this project. Turn it around for my friend in Luton. One manage, uh, employee in a month. Health and safety awards nearly every month since I got there. But I was just like... I was burning. Just, I was just, yeah, I was done. I was done. And I went, that's it. I said, come home every day and lay on the floor for 20 minutes and try and sleep because I was beyond exhausted. I had fatigue. And this is now, and, I'll, I'll, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is now completely clean. This is moved away from all the other excesses from previous. Yeah, 20 years. I'm 20 years clean and sober this year, yeah. Great August. Yeah. So that's completely fatigue, purely working because you're at your optimum. Yeah, I'm push, pushing beyond the optimum. Because there's nothing... Uh, giving that additional buzz, if that makes sense. No, it's age. There's nothing to do with buzz. It's to do with age. It's to do with it's to do with an elastic band or a piece of elastic, and you keep you keep stretching it, and it gets longer and longer and longer until it starts to fray. And I was fraying. You know, like those ones with those um, in the movies where they're hanging by a rope. Yeah, yeah. Someone's trying to cut it, like Indiana Jones. And it's like those, like they go bing, 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 bing. The last phrase. It was on that. And I know that by lockdown, I had to stop and I could turn my phone off. <laughs> and, you know, you look at your phone once a day and social media had all gone about people trying to lift each other's moods or moaning or all the conspiracy theories coming out. And I was just like, Psh. it was just nice. I was just like, I don't have to organise nothing. I don't have to go nowhere. And that was it. After that, I, I quit the construction. So I put it another way. Is what I've, I, in my industry, recruitment, it's high pressured, high reward, work, uh, work hard, play hard has always been the attitude. But if I take the example you've just made there, we have an industry that's very motivated, a lot around drink. Yeah. And probably a lot about drugs. Mm. And that's coming from the owners of the businesses down and the actual attitude of how the business is run. Now I started 21 years ago in IT recruitment and it was the Wild West. It was an absolute chaos environment. And the problem is now is that they're not learning their lessons. And the people now come from that, that kind of environment and now taking that into the new businesses. So the people are working the chaos that you're talking about there, they are then trying to still go out two, three nights a week 
and well, still socialising, isn't it? They see it as socialising. The more you socialise, the more more your body becomes dependent on having something to socialise with, and the other stuff that you might take. And alcohol, you know, is still on the TV. You know that 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 romanticised like glug 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 or the cold bead running down a glass on a hot day. It's still romanticised, but it's one of the biggest biggest killers and, and addictable substances in, in the world. Yeah, I'll have a drink. It's normal. You go to a restaurant, you go to a bar in the evening, go to a pub, go to a nightclub, drink, drink, drink. Do you know what I mean? Just drink. So another angle to learn because that's the way it is. That's the way the world is. So is there a, is there a, a kind of a post-COVID, do you feel we've come past that phase or is still a ticking time bomb of people with their mental health uh, and trying to do more they ever have done to make up for the periods they've lost? What, substances? On, yeah, substances. Oh, yeah, substances are always substances and you've got to work out your own, your own destination or, or where you're going personally. It's never going to change. Alcohol and, and it's a liked... A, what's the word? Um, are they alike it to uh, good times, party times, celebration, relaxing after a stressful day, energy, enjoyment? It's it's all those things associated with it, and and it, that's the same thing. Anything in moderation mm. is all right. Do you know what I mean? Is all right. If I would have drunk moderately when I was a kid. I didn't. I was wide wrong. I drank something and I was like, this makes me even more wilder. I enjoy this. I love it. I can just be out there with it. But I abused it. So I abused it. If you abuse a dog, it's going to turn on you or, you know, it's going to lose lose everything it's all about. And if you abuse yourself, then in, in the end, what the saying is, I abused it until the privilege was taken away. And it was a privilege. If I could, if I could in the ideal world, have a glass of red wine with a meal or a couple of beers with the boys but as I'm even saying it to you it's not I'm, I'm saying a glass but I'm looking at a bottle or two yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. and as I'm saying a couple of beers with the boys I'm thinking what's the point of two it's like when um, Liam Gallagher said to it he said oh yeah mate said come out for a pint and he said he looked at him and went what's the point mm. he went what's the point he went you get the flavour after one and then you're in it and that's the thing gets you gets the flavour I've got to have a drink to enjoy myself. I, I, I've got to do a bit of this or smoke a bit of that to be part of that gang. And as soon as I stopped, I was like, this is me. This is me. I set my stall out and told the world that I weren't drinking and getting on it. And I fucking love it. I love being different. It's good. I wanted to be different then by being mental. Now I'm, now I'm, I like being different because I'm the boring one. But is it boring? No, not to me it ain't. But to other people, they might perceive it. Until the people who want part of that realize what it's all about and then realize it ain't boring it's just just being at peace with yourself deploy recruitment group provides fast and reliable recruitment across the uk and overseas we source screen and deliver quality skilled individuals to meet your business requirements using our extensive database market knowledge network and latest software we provide access to specialized talent and address your industry's core challenges plan supply and deliver safely for more information please visit our website deployrecruit.com so, okay, let's fast forward. Clockwork Orange, which is obviously the business, which is the brand, which is uh, what you're out here obviously promoting for IB for an organiser at the moment. Banana vape. Banana it's lovely. vape. It's lovely. <laughs> so, very simple. We do the what you do, 
the how you do it and the why. And the why can't be about money. But because obviously what you do and what we're discussing is slightly different, so we're going to do the, the what and the why together. So what is Clockwork Orange? And why are you still doing Clockwork Orange after 30 years? What is Clockwork Orange? What Clockwork Orange was, was just crazy atmosphere parties with big, massive lineups, uh, which started with Brandon Block and Darren Emerson, or Darren Emerson and Lisa Loud in 1993. And then because of a guy called Bernie, Bernie St. Clair uh, from UK, he started putting three DJs on his flyer, and no one had ever seen it, or four. So then... We started putting five or six, yeah, and then went from like five or six to like seven or eight. We've always put too many DJs on, like for our beefer. Last year we had too many, and this year we've had to change a venue, but we've got too many DJs. And then, so you're giving value for money, and it was all about decoration, the atmosphere, the venue, and the marketing, the flyers, yeah. which I always used to sit with the guy and design, or the posters, or the campaigns for our beefer and all stuff like that. And what it is now is very much the same as that because my brother was promoting when, I, when I'd when i left Clockwork and when I stopped doing it. And um, and I went, what's the flyers like? And he went, no one does flyers anymore. He went, it's all online. I went, really? Went, what's the decoration like? I went, what's the lasers like? He went, no one does that anymore. I went, what? He went, yeah, they're just like like a little warehouse in, in uh, East London and... It's all dark. And I went, really? I went, no decor. He went, no. I went, what about the DJs? He went, no, nah, they're all underground. I went, fucking hell. <laughs> and that's what it is. So you walk in and like, you know, like print works when we had all the lights going on there, when we have the extra lasers plus all their stuff and the VJs. Don't just have one VJ and a two VJs. And I'm speaking to the lady the other day and she went, we spent 50% more this year than we did on DJs the time before. Right. So I'm still never learning, but it <laughs> makes it a massive show. Yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? I do. It's like if you're going to make a movie, you don't do it with a, a rubbish budget. And that's the old thing about when Clockwork came to the end, or was coming to the end, and the numbers dropped in the early, or just after the millennium, or just coming up to that. So I went, the biggest promoter on the island, 99 went down like that, 2000 went down like that because the island was saturated with promoters. And so I had to take out all the budget of all the, the big globe balls and yeah, projections yeah. on them and the extra lights and no dancers. And I was like, this ain't me. No. This ain't me. Okay, I was on a shoestring trying to earn some money because you didn't have no income. And I went, this ain't me. This ain't me. But that's what a clockwork's all about, trying to make something like spectacular. So you just come away and just go, wow. So interesting. Let me just say this. People who say they go to a club and there's 200 people in it and it's got F all in it and yeah. they come away and they say that was epic. Mm. Oh, that's one of my pet hates. <laughs> What's epic about a, a, a shit old yeah, yeah. venue? Unless the music's like spot on for you personally or you all, all, all communicate unknowingly together and you're in that zone, that's epic. But don't tell me some rubbish club in the middle of nowhere with like a 60 pick. That was epic. No. That is a pet hate of mine. I hate it. So, interesting comments you've made about, obviously, Facebook, Instagram, social media, and the internet. So, you started 30 years ago. We started before the internet. Exactly. With zero. The internet so, started in 94, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it must be about 94. Yeah. So, let's say tomorrow... Makes you feel old. Makes you feel like a dinosaur. But it doesn't. It means that you, you've, you've got a lot of insight and expertise on how to actually help the next generation 
and actually uh, advise. You probably don't realise you're probably one of the most, from yourself personally, your personal branding, as they call it these days, is like here, in my view. You've got to make it excitable. You've got to make it fun. You've got to make it enjoyable. It's, uh, thing is the same, is it? They do the same kind of stuff and they have a laugh and they, and they make it interesting and they're, they're on a different wave uh, yeah. universe to me, like Defected. Yeah. A lot of respect for them. And we don't, I never market my stuff the same as anyone else's. No. You'd be unique. But every day, every day, there's three designers making stuff every day. Right. Keeping the content fresh. This stuff, we've done thousands of videos and designs, making it like interesting. So you look at it and you not only laugh, it interests you, the lineups are big, you want to go, something a bit serious, something like more humour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But, Fun. But you've got... Otherwise I wouldn't do it. But you've I'd got be 30 bored. years of stuff to talk about, which is interesting. And it keeps people coming back, regardless of them being with you from 30 years ago, or people finding you now. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. So let's say, for example, the internet broke. It went. What advice would you give to any promoter or anyone thinking about getting into promotion of how to start again from the ground up? What, what, was, your, what was the thing that you went, right, if I can do this, I'm going to get attraction to people to come to my events? Well, then, yeah. then was a different world because you think uh, coming out of the raves and, and the government making it all legal for big gatherings and outside and, and all going into clubs. That's when clubs like grew and developed into super clubs. So then, if you looked at if you looked at magazines and Time Out, there was parties. Literally, you'd go to an awards or there was something on a Wednesday. Thursday it got bigger. Friday it was bigger. Saturday and Sunday mm -hmm. across the UK there was hundreds of clubs. So associated with that was clothes mag uh, clothes shops, record shops primarily. Um, any shops that were associated with like the dance scene. Um, so you'd go to Covent Garden, you'd put the shops, uh, the flyers in Ted Baker, you'd ask to put a thing in the window. I'd go up and down the King's Road, putting the flyers in, you go up, you'd walk back and check and they'd throw them in the bin. Mm. So it was monotonous. But then you kept collect their number, uh, their email addresses and their, uh, sorry, their home addresses and their names <laughs> and you'd sit there I'd have my nan my mum and my auntie sitting there with envelopes with a newsletter with a flyer which we try and write the newsletter in a, in a special way so it's your marketing team yeah they were <laughs> yeah which they didn't get nothing and then um, they would go out to like thousands of people and then you'd realise you'd sent out a flyer and it didn't you'd, you'd had 10,000 flyers printed up and there was no uh, date on it so you had to write the date in pen like 10,000 times, like 10,000 lines from school. So you literally walk the streets, then you go and do outside clubs. So you do outside clubs in the evening, you go at Ministry of Sound, put the flyers on the car. So then we went to the garage first and we stole all the plastic gloves. So we put our flyers in the plastic glove on the windscreen. So they okay, kept- Okay, clever, okay. So yeah, they yeah. kept dry. Yeah. Um, and they looked a bit more unique. And then um, that was it, clubs and stand outside and, and then word of mouth, come and clockwork, come and clockwork, come and clockwork. We've got this DJ, we've got this DJ. Oh, where is it? Oh, yeah, it's at Hollywood. Or we're starting to do the cross, or we're going to Ibiza. Do you think we started Ibiza in 94? The internet weren't here. It was literally, we flew over with the posters. And our luggage, we, each one of us took two boxes of flyers as well as our luggage. And you carried them onto a plane. Mm. Carried them onto a plane. And you got away with it. That was our flyer for the summer. One flyer, DJs throughout the summer. 94, we had like Digweed, Jules... 
like Digweed had never been to Ibiza. Jules had never been to Ibiza in 94, never played anywhere. Brian Alex had residence, Lisa Loud, and that's how it started. And you go around all the shops and all the restaurants, all the beaches and give them out. What else was the marketing? So you're here now in Ibiza, you've handed out all the flyers. What else were you doing to get attraction? What else that stood you out? Because as you said, there was a lot of club nights. That's how you market it, it's how you sell it. It's going to be amazing. Have you ever been to S Paradise? I've never been. Or they had been, oh, you won't believe it. And the roof opens and they used to have no roof. It's those hooks for selling. So did you have individuals doing the flyering on the beach? I used to do it. On your own? Yeah, I used to, no, I used to do it with people. Yeah. Or I'd take a team out and drop them at one end. By 1997, 98, drop them at one end of Playa in Bossa, drive to the other end, and then they used to walk all the way along giving out the flyers. And how many was that? Two, three people? Two or three, four people, all in the back of a transit van, and they go around in the evening giving them out. This is before tickets were sold in Ibiza as well. So everything right. was on the door. Okay. Everything was on the door. And what was the capacity at the time of Amnesia, which obviously the, was the super club, which was the biggest at the time, is that right? No, nah, not really, no. Three odd thousand, whatever S Paradise was, 1900, uh, whatever Pasha was, two and a half thousand, I don't really know. Then Coup was open then, that was still 10,000. Right, I didn't realise that. Yeah, Coup's still open. And then Space on a Sunday, Brown and Alex, seven, eight hundred, maybe, thousand, maybe on a good week. So, if you had people listening now who literally put, try and put on events, they obviously do everything via the internet. There's no walking oh, it's around. A, it's a different fish now. There's no, no ability to actually see people face to face. Yours was very much a human element to why people turned up. To your events it was it was re not recreating it was something that imagine how many people probably went to clockwork in the 90s probably like i don't know hundreds of thousands so yeah, yeah. it's that association but then it became digitalized with the facebook i've always said and i, and I do say it, i've been banned from facebook for certain reasons for like silly things um <laughs> one of them's quite funny i took a photo of a guy on a train he looked like a lion he had this strange beard in his hair and I put it up and I went, oh my God, there's a nothing lion on the train. And by the time I got to Tower Hill, I'd uploaded it. By the time I got to Liverpool Street, uh, 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 access to your account has been restricted. Like <laughs> The man, the, the guy I put the photo up of, one of, someone of my friends saw it, sent it to him, went, oh my God, this is you. He reported it within the space of four or five minutes. And I was like banned for two weeks. That don't happen anymore. But... Um, I've always said if, if it wasn't for Facebook, then I never would have done this again. I never okay. would have done that street. Uh, that, it had changed so much that where do we go and buy stuff anymore? We don't go Covent Garden. And, no. and you know, used to, we used to go to Michiko Casino and all these different wicked venues and buy all these wicked clothes. And then um, wouldn't even know where to start. The King's Road's all high-end flats and it's all changed and galleries and... And I was like, no, but with Facebook, that's how the word spread and that's how it restarted. Before oh, Instagram started as well. And before Instagram started. But obviously lockdown came in, obviously no events happening. Um, You're on Centre Force at the time with Centreforce, Centreforce started, yeah, and um, Amar Thing started on there as a result of lockdown, yeah. And I love doing my radio show. I love it. I get to play the music that I've loved all my life. Stuff that I've heard when 30 years ago, and when I find it on YouTube, I'm like, oh my God, I've not heard this since I was 15 or 16. Do you know what I mean? And um, 
No, I love my radio show. I and Saturday love mornings, it. 10 till 12. 9 till 11. 9 till 11. You should know, you sponsor it. I do sponsor it. Yeah, and that's know. why I'm always late, because I'm normally doing kids running football, so that's why I'm normally on about but I love 10. it. When you get a radio show, in a club, yeah, when it's rocking, um, bright, and going back to Brighton after lockdown, that, that atmosphere was like beyond the 90s. Electric. It was just this energy in the room. Like, we've been let out, and it was just, it was just insane. And um, but when you get the radio right, standing in your pants in the loft <laughs> with a coffee and your own little environment and reading the messages and doing your jingles and doing the stuff and you're mixing and I'll write stuff down so I can rhyme it or put it in the right way so you're having to juggle all this. When you get it all right and you come off, it's a buzz. It is a buzz. Yeah, it's a buzz. And I think we're in lockdown with obviously Clockwork being involved with Centre Force putting events on while there was no events able. I think that probably helped a lot of people get through some really tough periods. It were good days. Really? What, like 12, 16 hours of DJs and all charity? And you had, who did you have? Dave Morales, you had Rat Pack, you had Jeremy, you had all these people. I think the first time we did it for um, the NHS, we raised 40 grand. Amazing. Where's that gone? Mm. Where's that gone? Because now after all of all of this and you start reading stuff and you started to realise that the world is a... Not as quiet as what it was. No. I was a bit more clouded then because I was so busy, but my eyes opened up. Where did that 40 grand go? Do you know what I mean? Where did it actually go? Did it go to a, to fund nurses or for special equipment or for old people in yeah. isolated wards in, in lockdown? Then the second one was a bit more... Um, bit more believable it was the uh, what was it it was the um, centre point in London that yep. was about like 20 something grand I think but yeah it was um, that, that that was fun yeah something to lift lift the people when, they, when the lockdown came and do you think that's that... and the Sunday sessions so I used to Sunday do that session, I used to yeah. do the fancy dress thing that's right you did yeah but it was hard work mate finding <laughs> fancy dress every week and but a friend of mine who was in prison who got let out a couple of years ago he came to Printworks and he went, do you know what? He said, like, there were some tough times in prison, but he said, when you was on on a Sunday, he said, I used to like, sit there and laugh. So it made it all cool. And, that, and that, I think, and that's where probably, I think, people from, uh, people don't, who weren't involved and obviously saw this during lockdown, would probably not understand how much it did help a lot of people through the tough times. Yeah, um, like Gok. Gok launched himself on, yeah, on, on the back of, the, of, of COVID. He did, and I think you were the first... Uh, promotion to give him his step up to the bigger stages. Um, he was. We we got the rumor he was doing something. We were sold out. We were sold out um, for the festival in twenty twenty one, and um, and like the, everybody was talking about him. The girls who loved him during lockdown, and we found a space, and then and then I secured it, and then we got him in. We didn't need him. No, but we put him on the bill. But he came. Yeah, he came very popular very quickly. Yeah. Off the back end. And he's got charisma and a personality he and he's... Uh, he's a lovely guy. Yeah, the status he's achieved and all that. And he's a lovely guy and they love him. He is a lovely guy, 100%. Okay, so present day. So why? We didn't get the why. Why are you still doing it and money can't be related? 30 years on, why are you still doing it? Because he's always... I'll tell you why, because I'm always trying to improve it. Because I never rest on my laurels. I never want to just do the normal. I always want more performers, more lights, better venues, something a bit, if you just keep doing the same old rubbish, some, sh if I would never do as a clockwork, some rubbish bar 
then it's finished. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If you can't keep, not like 30,000, 40,000 people, because then you lost, you lose the, 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 the foundation and the ethos of what it's all about, like the community, but it gets like that with a festival, because you get people who ain't quite, quite, quite what we're all about, doing things that we're not all about. But um, it's about finding different venues and the excitement and the promotion, and that's why I do it. That's why I do it. Okay. So, and it's successful. If it's not successful, I stop. I just stop. You just stop. I just stop. If it started to go like that, I would not flog a dead horse. It's been eleven years. It's, it's come around the second time more than the first time. It's far more successful the second time than it was because I learned by my mistakes by being sober. And um, if it started to go like that, that's me done. I ain't flogging no dead horse. I did it before and I was like, that's it, I'm out of here. Okay. And this year, I've got one big event on the Sunday that all the promotion kicks in in the next week and then builds up to the event. All the rest of the events are just about to sell out. So with 2023, you say 30 years, you've had a sold out print work so far this year? 20 minutes. That's unbelievable. Yep. It's fantastic successful event yeah it was amazing yeah it's brilliant went so quick <laughs> even when i was sober i got this year i went oh, i'm not going to get there at 10 o'clock in the morning i get there at 12 and i come at 12 and people are arriving and then i went it's half past two mm. and i was on at four or something and then seb went on something like that and i got ready and i played like four till five or five till six i can't remember and then it was half past ten and like quarter to eleven darren emerson was on and I got a taxi and I was, I was back at the hotel by five past 11. Crazy, right? Yeah, no, just, I was like, where did that come? So the whole, so the whole build up to the event is promote, 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 organise, organise. And then... Is and it's it... also, sorry to interrupt you, it's also by analysing what you have to spend and what in like forms of advertising now you have to spend. Mm. Well, when Clockwork was around, it was only up till about four years ago. I didn't spend a penny on advertising. Okay. It was just all posts didn't spend a penny but they realized and they cut your reach mm. so right I didn't that, that. no massively when clockwork first started on social media on facebook you put an event on and um each individual that you could invite thirty thousand people to the event so i would invite five thousand people then blocko would invite andy would invite right and then they went hold on a minute so then they stopped that. I didn't know that. Then we found a little code to be able to do it, but the code was changing daily. <laughs> so that became too much of an aggro. And then you started to see the posts. Like you was getting like so much love, and then they were shrinking it because the, the organics or yeah, of it, yeah, yeah. they started to cut that so that you spend. So I think what they're trying to do, and what the rumours I heard, is even for a personal profile, they're trying to do it in the future so you pay for it. Mm. I've seen on Instagram now so that they're, need they're, it. they're allowing people to buy blue ticks. Yeah. So I think it's like £10 a month and you get verified. Well, that's not being verified. That's just paying to try and be something that's not official. Does that make sense? Yeah, but then they still can't give it to people who have got like 15 followers. And okay. they, they haven't achieved anything. So you would, you would analyse it and go... It's, it's pathetic. You can't buy it. They won't let you have it. It's like if you was to try and say you're a professional footballer, if you're in a GM Vauxhall Conference League yeah. and you're a substitute every week, people look at it and laugh. Do you know what I mean? It has to have some form of success behind it to make it believable. Yes. Can't have some Mickey Mouse promoter who's doing like 30 people and, and it's a joke to them and they're off their head every week going, eh, we're at amnesia. <laughs> no, I'll, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> 
because you don't get in the door of amnesia unless you've like done something special. So give us a, give us an estimate then. What what's now the call it on Printworks, which is obviously a, a, a separate venue. What sort of numbers did you have to spend on advertising for that event? Hardly zero. Okay. Yeah, hardly zero because the year before was was a push up until two weeks before. Yeah. And we stopped on less numbers. And because they increased the venue this year, I wanted the certain dates. I wanted one of the last dates in there. Yeah. And I went to see him in a meeting last August. And um, bloody hell, it was almost a year ago. And he said, I've got good news and bad news. I went, I want the bad news. He went, you can't have the beams because of a certain reason. I went, I don't care. He went, but you can have print works on the 25th of March. And I went, sweet. And we, I didn't realise, the VIP sold out. Yeah. But I didn't realise... And then put it on sale. My dog, something could happen to her paws. I think she burnt them on like rock salt in the, in the winter. Right, okay. So her Dry paws were sensitive. Oh, I love yeah. my dog. I adore my dog. So like, what you dog know, you got? A little cockapoo. Okay. I can't wait to see her after being here. I love her. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> you get me emotional. Not, nothing else gets me emotional. I love my dog. I just want to smell her and cuddle her. It's um, the first sign of emotion. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> uh, and so we're taken to the vets. He couldn't find nothing wrong. And then we said, she, uh, Paul, she still went, oh, like that. I went, right. So we went to take her again. We just about to walk out the door. And the guy called Joe from Caboodle, when he rung me up, after 20 minutes, he went, you've sold 2,500 tickets. He went, there's another 2,500 people online waiting to wow. buy them. He said, you're going to sell out in 20 minutes. And I went, what? I was like, my dog's standing there looking at me. And I'm like, I don't get stunned very much because I've got a high levels yeah. of, of expectancy. And um, he went, yeah, you're going to sell out. And I was just like, wrong hand yeah. I went, guess what? He went, what? I went, sold out. He went, what's sold out? I went, print works. He went, shut up. I went, yeah. Then you've got the problem of the people who want the tickets who you can't get the tickets for. Do you know what I mean? So it's a double-edged sword. But um, no, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. But we didn't spend nothing because it, oh, okay. it went and done a little bit, but probably 10% of what you normally do to to get it out there to the right people to like drive it to a certain point. That was it, it was done. Don't have to spend no more money. It's all organic. So now we're going up to wild class as the chaos phase of you've got Chelmsford race courses come up 1st of July. That's right. And then IB for less than two weeks after that. The, the 19th, yeah. Sorry, it's two, yeah, nine, yeah two and a half weeks. Now, that's a crazy man's, in my view, thing you've got something that holds what's that what's uh chelmsford 15 15,000 yep and then i beefer which is obviously a different animal on the 19th for wednesday through to the monday is, yeah. it? is that right it's longer this year for the 30th anniversary i'm going to shrink it again next year okay so let's take chelmsford when from a business point of view how and let's just go back to chelmsford why did you suddenly want to do the race course or what what how did that come about because ultimately it's like oh You've suddenly gone from the clubbing events to 15,000 It started off as 10. Um, we'd done a venue. We was asked to do it. and was, our, was asked to do, go and have a look at it by one of the events guys there called Brian. And he said, come and have a look at it. I was like, no, 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 no. Come and have a look. No, no. And we'd done an event in London. Really successful. And these people had no bar staff, no security. Uh, they didn't have generators for certain things, which I, I'd hired for certain things that I had to lend to them. It was a shambles. Um, and then afterwards, there was other things that added insult to injury associated with this venue. And, sure. I, and I, I just rang Andy. I went, 
let's fucking go for it. Let's go for it. Let's do it ourselves and make it our. We should be making it ourselves. Went to see Chelmsford. They've got Brian and they've got James, the events manager, spoke our language and, and that was it. The first one, I don't think there was a single complaint on the first one. Okay. Yeah, but only about the uh, the black flies that landed on people's yellow tops because of the heat. So, <laughs> what do you want me to do about that? Do you know what I mean? And then it grew to 15. Last year it was about 16. And then um, this year we take it down to 15 because September 21, I just remember it was sublime. But one of... Um, it wasn't on site. It was a, a Wi-Fi tower. Right. The cables got cut or they got vandalised on the day of our thing, which is quite apt. And the Wi-Fi went down for an hour. And that just ruined my day. Just ruined my day. I Last was there, year, I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just ruined my day. It spun me out. It put me on the back foot all day. And then last year was just amazing. And then this year, this, this year will be the same amount of numbers, 15. But um, just want to get it spot on. So let's go to actually, so as a, as, a, as a punter, I turn up and I go, this is amazing. But I have zero concept of what it takes to actually put on something that scale. So take the first one. How long in a, ahead of it did you start planning Chelmsford? Uh, nine months. Nine months. Nine, ten months, yeah. Now it's a year. I go year. there the day after. Say it's on the Saturday. I'll, I'll go there on the Sunday and then walk around with the guy where we've got things wrong and then like, talk about them. And then when I get back from here, we'll have meetings about them things that I spoke about on the first time and then all the other stuff, trying to, trying to organise it. So that's one year. And how many stages you got there now? Seven or eight. So there's eight stages. Yeah. The amount of DJs, numbers? 65, 70. So that's, that's, that's um, tents, marquees, that's massive yeah it's, it's the bug beats it's like the, the van there's like the disco's a big long marquee again this year this year the um, the main stage is open now um then you've got tannic beach with 200 tons of sand and then made to look like a beach again and we're flying the tannic beach staff over okay with their managers so we're bringing the staff over so it's like authentic right okay so sorry so you've got the separated beach section within the race course yep with the actual staff from Ibiza being flown over. Yeah, and then the DJs <laughs> who normally play the beach, yeah. <laughs> then you've got flights, accommodation, transport on the day. Do you organising all that? Uh, we have companies. We've got a company for the, uh, for the transport, a company for the flights. You've got management teams. Then you've got management teams there on the day that's like are working on it and yeah. processes and systems for a year. You think, no, like, you know, we do like 15 in one. And then you've got other people. Do you think, like, Glastonbury? Think what goes into that? Think what goes into that? That's just mind-numbing. It is mind-numbing. It's, it's a word that someone I know can't say. It's compartmentalised. You can't do, think of all the Glastonbury. You go, right, okay, you've got this section here. Yeah, that's yeah. blue. To, and it's, all, it's all segregated. And then, like, you know, there's a guy running that with, like, four managers underneath him and so-and-so. And the same with that. When you're dealing with 150,000 people a day, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a whole yeah, new yeah, ball game. Yeah. You it can't is. please all the people. There's problems, there's fights, there's, there's shit that goes on. So how many, how many staff, roughly, other than the DJs, are on site for Chelmsford? How many people are actually hired? Oh, on a day? On a day total, probably about 300. Bar staff, security, management, running people. Um, even more, really, with the light, sound, VJs, drivers... Uh, stewards, food staff. There's, there's so much. Probably over 300. Jesus. 
And then from that point of view, from what I'm understanding from what we're discussing, you're always on, you're never switching off. You're yeah, you are, I'm always walking around, talking to people and, and in trying to enjoy it and, and, and looking around and like, you know, before you start, you want to make sure that's shut and this is that and this is happening and yeah, and then walking around and then keep an eye on stuff. And obviously, as you said before, is that you're very much about not just having a tent with people in it. What is there to look forward to this year? Or can you not say at this stage? So what performance? Hey, just did, like the decoration. I knew what was missing last year, the production. So what, what was missing then? What was the lessons learned from last uh, year? More like high level stuff in the sense of stuff that's more like eye catching. So we've got these big letters this year, like love and happiness and joy. And they're going to be spray painted by these graffiti artists. So they'll be like all around the place. So you'll see them like more screens um, the open air will add more to it, so it's not all enclosed in a in a in a big massive like Valhalla tent. And then I let them do. They go, oh, "What do you think about this?" I'm like, "Just do what you do." And then there's more performers this year, like some more stilt walkers, the big puppet walker, uh, puppet um, guy, funny stuff. And and she's like, "Well, what about this?" I trust you. Just Anything goes. Yeah, no, just just get on. No, not really. No. <laughs> uh, some sorry, of the I things imagine. she sends, like Sam bless her, and I go, "No." She goes, what? And I go, no, there's a no on that one. But 90% of the stuff, she went, she goes, I think this would be good. I'm like, cool. You're going to do it anyway, <laughs> even if I say no. So you might as well do it. So how big's the team internally now from Clockwork Orange that's involved in this alongside yourself and Andy? Four. Okay. Yeah, four. It's Paul, Nathan, Justin and Adrian. And then the guys who work for us and help us a lot on the door at in our beef, and they'll be like, you know, Paul Bagley and a, and a few others because we're doing our own thing on Sunday this year. But it's only a handful of people. And okay. I have to do all that myself with one or two designers and then run the door as well with two or three people up to about two years ago, two, two and a half years ago. Just did it too much. I was like, that's enough. And that was your piece about the, the stretching and... Yeah, just everything. Not able to let things go. But now it's all about delegating. You get the right person for that for that position. You go, right, that's yours. Crack on. What do you think? I'm like, yeah, good idea. Crack on. Do you find that difficult? No, not anymore. Did, did my, you though? No, my boss said to me, because I used to run jobs and get all these 100% records and stuff like that. And my boss said to me, you know your problem? What's that? He went, don't delegate. I went, yeah, because if I don't do it, I know it ain't going to get done. Yeah, but you've got to get someone who you think is right and then you delegate and then they do the job and it takes less pressure off you. Once I started delegating, I didn't stop. I went, you, you can do that. Yeah, but I'm busy. No, I want it done now. Right, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, but, no buts. Come on, let's get it done. Yeah, sweet. Right. I'll make you a coffee when you come back. Right, cool. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm just going to, no, I need you to go and do that. Oh, right, cool. And I was just like, oh, my God. Then I, I went the <laughs> other way. I was like, yep. Because I, as I said, I've got this jumbled mind that I know what makes the main contractor happy when I was in construction. Yeah. Not to spend extra money, all part of the scope of building it, but I knew what to do to build, even if it was not out of sequence, it wouldn't cost us any money and it would it would advance the program. So you would know what ammo to fight back with when they try to come over here using delay. And I was good at it. So did you find those that skill set has really helped with obviously things like the bigger projects like Chelmsford now. Yeah, because I went from organising stuff all over Europe and designing the flyers, giving out the flyers, standing on the door. I didn't used to DJ then, so I, the organisation of it. Then went into like being a, a site labourer and then coming as a site manager. And it's just organisation. 
those metals need to go to that man or be preloaded for that job and we need to order that for that. So it was taking that skill set into that and then going back from construction back into clockwork again. I'd already done clockwork. I just fine-tuned it. That's great. Yeah, just fine-tuned it to the, to, the, to the new world and social media and posts and funny and, and venues, what I said about it. But yeah. stay personable and stay relevant and yeah. make sure it's all about the people rather than it being... Customer service. Yeah. That's what's got lost in the, in the 21st century. So what I said to you, you ring a number and uh, if you uh, want to speak like, leave a message or, or speak this, but I'll press number one, fuck off. Send me an email and I'll sort it out and it's easy. Like someone sends me a message, I go, right, that's my email address. Send me an email and I'll copy you in with a person. I go, this person needs that. What does it take? It's only, it's only rare occurrences or, or the odd individual. Yeah. It's not like 20,000 people need something. Most people know what they want. It's people with disabilities. Or there's a lady, there's a thing with a man who needs some insulin, so he needs a private space, uh, somewhere for someone to go and chill because they've got something wrong with their leg. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I mean, they didn't, that wouldn't have even occurred to oh, me. Oh, massively. Though. You, get, you get loads of things like that. So they put their mind at rest so they can enjoy it. Or a lady said she didn't want to go cover. We've nearly sold it out now because of her leg. And I said, if you want, I said, I will drive you from Cova Santa to West Paradise afterwards. No, that's all right. No, okay, we won't go because of my leg. We've got Ibiza coming up in July. Um, as you said, it's a longer one this year as it's the 30th anniversary. So it's Wednesday through to the Monday. Uh, let's just go through it. So what's happening on each night before we go into the detail? Wednesday is Café del Mar. Um, and we're bringing early, we're bringing six members of the Royal Philharmonic and London Symphonic Orchestra. That's wonderful. Yeah, to play the last six tracks of The Sunset, which will be like trance classics, mm -hmm. remodelled into like a sunset kind of... Um, uh, mod just reworked basically yeah. rewritten so they play it all out so the last track that we're working which will be will be Café del Mar at Café del Mar which is quite like, iconic yeah. for me considering that Café del Mar was the first place we went to before Mambo's was even built and then we'll do a little like after dance kind of thing in there in the, uh, in the big bit of Café del Mar yeah Thursday's free boat parties they're all sold out the Wednesday's all the tables are reserved uh, there's like 100 for um Sunset, they're oh, already wow. done, so you can just turn up and, and watch it, yeah, and have a drink on the bar. Um, Friday, Cova Santa is going to be sold out in about a week. Um, Incredible. S Paradise is three quarters done, uh, that's on the same evening, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Coaches will take people to, to S Paradise, and then Saturday, the place we don't talk about, that's sold out, <laughs> all the beds are reserved. <laughs> And then um, Sunday is a Recinto Ferreal with 30 members of the London Symphonic and Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Very well done. They go on at about 10 o'clock to 11.30. But then we've got like um, Roger Sanchez, uh, Mark Knight, Got Juan, K-Class Live, and then a load of like, Spanish guys like PP and stuff and Tall Paul and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And it's a new venue. We wanted something different. And I like, was looking around and all these different ones and I got taken there and I looked around and I was like, oh my God, it's like a warehouse in Ibiza and it's just massive. And we're going to have food and Red Bull and Ballantines and all sponsoring it. And okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Food courts outside and, and all different things going on. What's and the capacity it, of that? Uh, can take up to about five, six thousand. Okay. 
Yeah, so it'll, it'll probably get near that because we've I've remodelled my my promotion this year to to increase that, and then um, yeah, we'll have more performers going on and and all stuff. It's got a big massive marquee outside. That's the only thing, and then we're going to take all the sides off of it and most of the roof, so it's got shade and then decorate it all. The inside will all be decorated with massive big stage. It's got. A, big massive glass VIP room at one end that looks down on the on the stage in the main room and it, it's air conditioned goes on from 4pm till 2am so how, how do you obviously I've know you've done IB for, for a long long time uh, over the years and you've got the consistency of the clockies that come year in year out how have you managed to mould it to still keep the let's call it the old school happy with newer members coming in or does the clockies the traditional clockies play a big part of making everyone welcome yeah no they do it's, it's the older element it's, it's it's clockies in the sense that, that you call it like that but then you've got also the um it's the mature the mature raver you've got a mature raver then you've got the mature raver who just wants to be with the mature raver that's all cool that's all well and good but that eventually dies out because they don't go out all the time or they're less they're less able to go out all the time. But now we've got the people who come, then you've got the people who say, oh, well, there shouldn't be no kids. And I used to be that mentality. But then when someone's turning up and they're bringing their 18-year-old kid or their 20-year-old kid for the first time to a clockwork, oh, this is my daughter. Some people bring their grandchildren. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That makes me feel old. <laughs> like, that's really like, like, what? What's going on now? But also impressive. No, and it's wicked. So then how do you turn around to someone and say, oh, I don't think you should be bringing your kids when you're when they're dancing together and putting photos up, like, and I had the most amazing day with my daughter and my son. There you go. That's called progress. That's called progress and being in it for like 30 years. Do you mm. know what I mean? Where those people were the same age as them who have now gone that full capability or whatever, and now they're like 48 and their kids are 18. Yeah. And it's gone. It's gone a whole generation. So with the DJ lineup, you've obviously it's a different country, different mentality of organising and putting stuff together. Is that have you found that a lot more challenging as the years have gone by compared in comparison to saying got like a lot more Chelsea, expensive, a lot more expensive. Mm. Used to be a hostel or or a simple thing or. If you was having, when when we used to do our beef in the 90s, when it was big, you'd have like Jeremy Ely, Tall Paul might be here for the summer. But the thing was, they used to fly in then, and most of them used to take the piss. So you'd have Jeremy on our night, and then they'd go and do uh, Cream on a Thursday, or Brandon and Alex were doing everything they could because they were living here. And then you'd fly in Jules, who might fly in and fly out. So, But now, bringing, I don't know, how many have we got? Uh, uh, 16, 16, 30, about 30, 40 DJs. And there's flights and accommodation. Is that being directly Last year doubled. Last year doubled. Oh, massively. Last year doubled from 2019. And this year is is probably going to double again. No, it's going to triple. Because there's 30 flights and accommodation and wages just for the the orchestra. Of course. So it's massive. That's almost the same cost as all the DJs put together. <laughs> it's huge. So is this in your? But if you're going to do, if you're going to do story to interrupt you, if you're going to do something special and different, well, I was going to ask you. Yeah. What's the point? Same DJ, same venue, same fuck, isn't it? Same man. It's like, oh, my brain don't work like that. I'd rather not do it. I'd just be, I'd be brain dead. I'd be like, this is not exciting. 
new venue, big challenge, 30 members of these. They've been in a rehearsal and, and it's all been, been written by the composer Matthew Freeman for the last seven months. Wow. It's been in planning for a year. Um, we, got it, we got in talks with them last, last July. Um, then when I came back in like August, September, it was, it, was, it was signed. It was done. Then he got the members of the orchestra, then the lineups, and now now the promotion for it is like there's so much promotion about to kick in and stuff, and that's that's that's, that's the last element. So of this it. is the run into it now. Yeah, yeah. This is this is this is full steam ahead now. So that's that's postering around the island. Postering, don't even postering's the most bottom form of it. You're talking radio adverts. You're talking uh, airline companies. You're talking like ticket sellers, billboards in IB for town. Um, it, 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 it's just tons of stuff. Social media, social media influencers, companies, uh, posts. What else is there? There's stuff that I've done that I've, I've even forgot about, and it's all been secured. I leave you. I go and see someone else. I've got to go and do a jingle for global radio and it's pure radio and then I've got to go from there to meet someone in um, in the Botfock Marina for three o'clock and then jump on a flight at six. Back home? Yeah. Back home to the heat wave, yeah. So it's that's... Than here. Sun's gone. It's just... <laughs> it has gone back in. So, to the normal human, everything you just said there is probably quite mind-blowing. That's, that's experience. It's 30 years of experience, not, not just experience, but it's keeping your finger on the pulse and understanding the market. The market's changed in England. Um, festivals are being cancelled in England because those who can afford to go are, are jumping in. Those who can't afford to go might leave it to the last minute mm. or they haven't got the money whatsoever. So there's festivals being cancelled. There was a few in the last couple of weeks putting up notices out of our, uh, due to unforeseen circumstances, and other ones are just saying, you haven't, we haven't sold enough tickets, so we're cancelling it. That won't happen with uh, Chelmsford. And it's the same with, with Ibiza. I've seen a different buying dynamic, but I reacted to it in April. Not like now panicking. I saw it two months ago. Right, okay. And I went, right, I need to change things. And I've been working on that ever since. So, other promoters other people what from you is the kind of biggest things they're not learning and what what are the biggest things they keep repeating the same mistakes same old shit okay same old shit same old flyer same old dj same old venues it's like going out in a pair of black jeans and a black t-shirt every day <laughs> it is fucking boring you're not danny from greece i used to wear black in my in my crazy period and then when i got sober i started wearing color i was like oh my god <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh my God, orange and blues and because we're black because I thought I was cool. But um, if you're doing the same stuff, it's even the music. I like to play like different music. I won't just play specifically whatever. I'll play like some not random track, but trying to like, you know what I mean? It's, it's everything. It's from your design to your venue, to your production, to the performers. It's all got to be different every time. You yeah. can't have... Oh, but that's what the girl, she always keeps going on to me. But the clock faces, they are clockwork. I went, yeah, but you've used them fucking two times. I said, I'm bored of it. But the people ain't. Oh, right, cool. There's only a few of them. Ah, right, cool. But we have got 97% of the other performers, which are different. Right, cool. All right. So it's just got to be different. Any product's got to be the same. So you look at what, when we were kids, it was called 7-Up. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Changed it to Sprite. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, why? Why? Do yeah. you know what I mean? Snickers, Mars, yeah, marathons. They think yeah. they're like changing something. Can't change the name of it. You've got to change the actual experience of it. So someone walks into a venue and goes, oh, 
it's just face. It's like in a big venue where you can spend the money. And if you ain't getting the numbers, if you haven't got the success, you can't invest that into an event. And that's the reason why I left when I was doing clockwork before, because it was going like that, didn't have the money, and I couldn't spend, and I couldn't make the spectacle that I wanted it to be, or the location, or the big DJs, everything combined. And I was like, what's the point? What's the point? I'm not just going there as a job and just doing it and going home. It's, 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 got, it's got, got to be worth your while. It's so you be... still enjoy the thrill, the chase of getting the events to be in To something. the line. Yeah. To the line. And then on the day, it has to be the right weather. If it ain't the right weather, it pisses me off. The day after Clockstock last year was blue skies and little white clouds, whereas on the day we had a breeze mm. and we did have blue sky and sunshine, but we had a lot more white cloud than normal. That fucking annoyed me. Do you know what I mean? That's out, that's out of my control, but it has to be spot on. Has to be perfect. Yeah, it has to be spot on. And learning, I can't, I might make a flipping comment to say, eh, that's all right, that's part and parcel of it, but it'll, it'll play out my mind. It does my head in. So give us a, a lessons learnt from last year to what's been improved this year. It could be something really small for clockwork. Uh, numbers, production, um, security, uh, traffic. There's always elements because there's so many people to like to just there's so much stuff that you have to fine tune. So, what is anything big from last year this year you've made an improvement on, for example, transportation? Yeah, the transportation, same thing, the elements of the security for certain reasons, the production, uh, the Wi Fi now is all, all hardwired, that doesn't affect anyone, but it should increase. Like um, turnover times, yeah. So, um, yeah, like there's, there's loads of them. And that's Chelmsford. Yeah. But then the next day after it, when, when we have a quick catch up on a phone, it could be a whole new different okay. ballpark. And it's, and it's so it's, it's continual improvement. There's never a, this is okay. Nah. What's the point? Okay. I can do that with food that I cook. This is okay because it's for me. But if I was making food for someone else, it'd have to be the best food. Yeah, I get that. Do you get what I mean? So like I was sweeping up the floor before you come round. Although it's not my place, yeah. I didn't want it to have all leaves. There's leaves, but if I lived here, I'd have a blower. <laughs> Take them all away. So one final thing. What's Tall, dark and handsome. Tall, dark and handsome. And that'd be the finish. What's, what's the future of Clockwork Orange? Obviously, we're 30 years. What is... It, will it evolve? Have you got any thoughts on the next five years plus? No. Uh, make, making other things uh, not like too too big but it, there's there's some ideas I've got in my head to try and for, to do for Ibiza um, but England I haven't really done it this year we've got Coco in September possibly something we think there's another thing we're thinking of launching next year then the classical thing um, but it's just just about making it different not different but just adding elements to it that makes it more exciting and just just a plain old simple so it's not at its it's kind of peak orgy classes no no there's still there's still more to come out of clockwork orange yeah there's some things in the plan for next year being planned if they come off that would be really cool like for ibifa like certain djs for certain places unique different locations that no one's ever done and DJs that want to do it as a result of that. Well, I was going to ask you, was there, is there one DJ or performer? I'd love to have Fatboy Slim. Okay. I'd love to have Fatboy Slim or Carl Cox. Yeah. Or, or branching out into different elements. Do you know what I mean? Imagine having like New Order and Adam and the Ants and, and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? In some like quirky, mad place. Do you know what I mean? I like that idea. Yeah, being creative. 
like the same old shit is just fucking rubbish. Sorry to finish on an expletive. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's the only dis- description I can, I can come up with. Yeah, but this, this was the whole point of this, is, is, is to get some honesty. Like in the 90s, right? Everyone was using this, using that. So we went yeah. and done a party in a car park in South London. Ran out of beers by 10 o'clock at night. And he was driving around London of all the open late night, 24-hour uh, off-licenses, filling a Mondeo up with crates of lager and bottles of brandy and everything else like that. We had 3,000 people. <laughs> but it was it was an Archie's, and we put a marquee on it on the outside, and it was different. You got the paddocks, you had the cross, you had like uh, whatever it was called in London. You had like Camden Palace, you had this Paradise, but it was them different little things that made it like just just gives it that element of interest. Well, I think that's a really good. Wicked time to stop, Danny Knuckles. Thank you, yeah, so bye-bye. much for your uh, your time today. I hope those have been listening and watching back. We hope you've cut some of the parts out that have been recorded that shouldn't be on there. Uh, But thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate your time today. Last one, brother. Thank you very much. Geezer. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what was said and what was discussed by Danny and myself. To find out more about Danny, Clockwork Orange, and the events they've got hosted for this year and beyond, please visit clockworkorange.co. If not, you can find Danny Gold on all socials, Facebook, Instagram, and anything else you're on. And don't forget to listen to him on a sassy morning, 9 to 11, not as I got it wrong, 10 to 12, on the mighty Centre Force Radio.